No, 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 no. Yes, thank you. Perfect. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm Brad Kendall. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm going to grab this little uh, stool over here. And uh, I thought it would be fun. Uh, we, we do Q&A quite a bit here at Faith. Uh, today, we're, gonna, we're not going to do Q&A at the end of the service. We're going to do Q&A at the beginning of the service. And uh, we're going to ask our kids some questions. All right. And so uh, the question for our kids, if you are, uh, let's say, 10 years old or younger, is, kids, uh, who is Jesus? All right, raise your hands if you want to let me know. Uh, hang, I'm going to go to the back. I'll work my way to the front. All right, what's your name? Cora. Okay, who's Jesus? The baby. A baby, okay, yes, awesome, thank you. Your name for everybody? Maya. Maya, who is Jesus? The King of Kings. Ooh! I'm going to buy you a donut. <laughs> Who is Jesus? The Lord. The Lord. Oh, yeah, good theology there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, right over here. Who is Jesus? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get back to you. Yeah, oh, right, go ahead. The Son of God. The Son of God. Okay, Matthew? I was going to say what she was going to say. Oh, okay. Right, hold, let, me get, let me get just a, a couple more. One second. Yeah, you're, you're too old. Okay. All right, right, Corbin, how old? Who, who, who's Jesus? The Messiah. The Messiah? <laughs> okay, all right. Anyone? Yeah? Who is Jesus? Anyone? Anyone? How old was he? How old is Jesus right now, do you think? Old? Yeah, he's old. <laughs> no? All right. Uh, all right. I, I, th- I think we've done... I'm going to come over here to, to Emily. Uh, Emily, who is Jesus? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Okay, God with us. All right, very good. Very good. Now, thank you all. Give our kids a big round of applause. They are crazy smart, and uh, you know, here's the deal. The reason I did that is because for all of us, we wrestle with this question, especially this time of year. If you are an adult, you very likely might have uh, a young person, maybe a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, a son or daughter, come to you and say, okay, what's the big deal? All the, the singing and everything, uh, there's all kinds of holiday stuff happening. I hear it's about Jesus who is Jesus? And just like when we think about describing something big, you know, th- there are a lot of different words we could say, you know. So if I said, uh, you know, what is the sky? You know, we could say, well, uh, huh, um, it's blue. Um, it is up there. It's air. I mean, there are all kinds of... We would struggle and, and we would discover that there are really never enough words to adequately describe sky, you know, or tree. But what we do when something is indescribable, we try to put some words together and we, we try to describe it. The, the Apostle Paul, he knew... When it came to who is Jesus, he knew, wow, ah, it, that, that's, a, that's a big one. <laughs> and so he wrote, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
the gift of Jesus, it's so big, maybe indescribable is the best way to start. But of course, as we move through the scriptures, what do we discover? We discover that the, the writers of the scriptures have, have used all kinds of different ways to talk about who is Jesus. So parents, don't be ashamed. Uh, trying to describe God, it's a big deal. Words probably aren't enough. What we've done over the past four weeks is we've, we've made some attempts uh, each Sunday. For example, the first week we talked about how Jesus is Emmanuel. One of the kids mentioned that. Emmanuel means uh, God is with us. So the, the scriptures say that Jesus is God's sign that God is with us and God is for us. Then the next week we talked about how um, uh, Jesus is our high priest. The Bible talks about Jesus as our high priest, our perfect high priest, who has offered the perfect sacrifice. And right now, at this very moment, is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making forever intercession on our behalf. Right now. That's pretty big. And then last week we talked about how a prophet is the one who speaks God's word to God's people, God's truth to God's people. We talked about how Jesus is our prophet. He is, he is the word made flesh. He is the last word. God wanted to be really clear. Who am I? Well, here you go. Uh, he's the word made flesh. Uh, and this is not to say that people don't have prophetic gifts now. But Jesus is, is the, cl- the clearest word that God has given to us. So he's Emmanuel. He's our prophet. He's our priest. And this week we're going to get to he is our king. And parents, grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, uh, could, could you do me this one? If a young person ever comes to you and says, who is Jesus? Would you please start with, he's our king. Because once you get there, once you start there, the whole of the scriptures begin to make more sense. All right, let's pray and then we'll continue forward. Holy God, we come before you grateful that the, our priest is, is right now for making intercession for us. We're grateful for the, the God who is with us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ present with us. We are grateful, God, that you have spoken to us through Christ, the exact representation of your being, the radiance of your glory. We pray, Holy God, that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see today. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, we pray, even beyond all the stuff I'm saying, I pray, Holy God, that your Spirit would minister to us. These are tough times sometimes in the holidays, and we need your ministry, your comfort. We need your counsel. We know truth sets us free, and so God, help us be set free by your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start getting really, really political. All right? Oh, come on. You can smile. Uh, yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to get really political, but the, and I know it's Christmas and, and you don't want to get political, but we're going to get uh, Christmasly political. All right? We're going to go on a great political journey through the Christmas story. And I promise you that this political journey is, 
is going to be a journey that is going to edify, it's going to comfort, I think, and I believe it actually has the power to change your life. So, uh, if you would please grab a Bible uh, from the seat in front of you or take your phone, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 for a good chunk of where we are. If, you, if anyone, uh, if you're ever wondering, where's the Christmas story? Uh, you know, probably our first guess as we go to Linus on stage during uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, where did he get what he was saying? That comes from Luke chapter 2, all right? So Luke chapter 2, we have the Christmas story. And um, how does Luke, the writer of this gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of Jesus, how does he begin his Christmas story? Well, he starts with politics. He, 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 look at the very first verse of Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. Now, you may have heard that line so many times that we forget that this is not a politically ambiguous way to start a story. Uh, you know, put it in our context. If, if I was to start a story to you, to you and say... Uh, in those days when uh, President Donald Trump or President Barack Obama was uh, in charge of America, uh, he issued a tweet that a census should be taken. Okay? Now, again, no, not taking sides or anything, but, but if, if I was to start the story that way, you would know, okay, there's a political context to this story. And what's fascinating is Luke, we, we think of the Christmas story as, as kind of long, and it is long, but Luke compacts it in just a, a, a few short verses here. And so if you go three verses forward, you see that Caesar Augustus, he's issued this decree, and it sets the main characters in the story, it sets them in motion, right? Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. All right. Big deal. Joseph took his bride from point A to point B. No, no, no. So, um, think of it this way. If I were to say this in the story, uh, so Joseph took his bride from uh, Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., you'd go, oh, okay, well, that's kind of interesting that it's Washington. Because in Washington, Washington has governmental uh, tones to it, right? Uh, we, we, we know that there are, there are politics that happen. Actually, just side note, in the previous service, uh, one of the parents came up to me uh, after the service, and as they, they could answer the who is Jesus question, but they were like, Dad, what's politics? <laughs> um, interestingly, a uh, good definition of politics is people compromising to accomplish a goal. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah. So anyway, so Luke, in telling his story, he knew that his readers knew that this cozy little town of Bethlehem was a prophetically political town. The prophet Micah, hundreds of years previous, prophesied, but you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, Little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to what? Come on now. Rule. And we're going to read that again. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to rule in Israel. 
You see what's happening here. In just four short verses, Luke is setting the stage for what is a politically cosmic battle. Who's the king? Who's really the the lord of all lords? And Mary, she's in on it. She's absolutely in on it. We ask, what child is this? Mary knew what child this was within her. The angel told her. If you go back a chapter to Luke 1, uh, what does the angel Gabriel say to her? He says, Mary, you're going to give birth to a person who's going to start a great religion. No. (laughs) Uh, Mary, you're going to give birth to a great wise teacher. No. No. Uh, The angel says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the what? The throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His what? His kingdom will never And Mary knows the child within her has come not to give good advice, but to rule and reign. So Mary and Joseph, again, we're moving quickly through this story the way Luke does. Mary and Joseph, they get to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. They get to the stable. The child is born. What's happening out on the countryside? Well, the shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks by night, right? Of course, Pastor Brad. But as they do... Get this. Troops are assembling. What? What? Yeah. The shepherds, they're just minding their business, but suddenly an angel, a messenger of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, and just, just, just an FYI, the angel of the Lord is not just a dead person with wings on. Okay? That's not in the Bible. <laughs> uh, it's not Uncle Ed with wings on. This is a messenger of God who has come to Mary and... Um, and has, is saying to them, today, uh, in a totally random town, a very wise kid is going to be born. Who's going to give you a great holiday? Nope. <laughs> no, the angel declares, verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior is going to be born. We hear that word so often, we're like, what does that even mean, Savior? That means a rescuer, a deliverer is going to be born And he is the Messiah, the Lord. Again, Messiah, the Lord. We we hear these words all the time in church world. We forget what they were. Uh, The angel is declaring in Greek, the original language, to the original uh, uh, shepherds, this is the Christos Kyrios. This is the Lord. This is the master who has all authority. Mary, you are carrying within you the Savior, the Rescuer, who is the Lord, who is the Master of the whole deal, and He has absolute authority. Are you catching this? In the days of Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the largest kingdom of the, the, the world up to that point, declares that that, that this child is going to be born behind enemy lines. Right underneath Caesar's nose. He will be the Christos Kyrios. He's going to change everything. And this is something to sing about, of course. 
Suddenly a great company of the, quote, heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And we, we see, we imagine, you know, these angels and the shepherds. And what do we imagine? I don't know about you, but I've always imagined that God has gotten together a group of little cherubs. They put together a little song. You know, and they're singing, you know, glory to God in the highest, peace on... You know, that's not what's going down here. The Greek word for heavenly host is the word stratia, which is where we get our word strategy. Do you know what a stratia is? You see it on the screen right now. A stratia is an army. An army is singing. This is not a choir that's as big as a, an army that's singing a song. This is an army that just happens to be singing. Why? Because the Christos Kyrios has come and is ushering in his battle plan. His battle plan has begun. I mean, think about it. If, you know, we think about all the different things that Jesus came to do, and he, he came to do a lot of stuff, Right? 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the devil's work. Was to wage war. Was to take something that was put together and actually destroy it so that it's putting together doesn't destroy stuff anymore. Yes, Jesus is God with us. Yes, he is God's word in the flesh. Yes, he is our high priest. But this little child was born behind enemy lines to be a regime changer. So I'm going to give you my main point. You can fall asleep right after this, but please don't. My main point, God has given us a warrior king who has defeated the powers with love, ushering in a kingdom of shalom without end. And I like to use the word, the Hebrew word for shalom, for peace. Shalom, peace means the same thing. But shalom in Hebrew essentially means a, a, a realm, uh, a, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of shalom is where there is right relationship with God, right relationship with self, right relationship with each other, and all of the created order. So this is a pretty big deal, the coming of the Christos Kyrios. So Mary's in Bethlehem, the city of David, the king, to give birth to the warrior king. All right. So let me ask you this. How does this king, this Christos Kyrios, how does he wage war? Well, let's start with he wages war against the kingdom of accusation. Kingdom of accusation. Now, buckle your seats. We're going to fly up to 30,000 feet just for a moment. Hang on tight. What did ancient Israel long for? They longed for a warrior king to defeat their oppressor. They had Rome with big thumb of Rome pressing down on them. And they're like, get this thumb of oppression off of us. But God, the Father, knows that you kill Caesar Augustus, another Caesar is just going to pop up. That's the way it is with rulers and authorities in the kingdom of accusation. So God sends the decisive warrior king to fight the decisive battle against the Satan. Defeat Satan, and you can defeat sin and death in the same decisive blow. Remember what the, Satan, what the word Satan means. It means the accuser. 
That's why sometimes you'll hear pastors or scholars call Satan the Satan. He's the accuser. And think about it. All throughout human history, when conflict arises, what do we bestow upon each other? When conflict arises, what do we do? We start accusing. Start throwing around some blame. Yeah, there's conflict. We've got to blame someone for this, right? Starts all the way back with Adam. It's her fault. Eve's. Uh, it's the serpent's fault. Cain kills Abel. No, it's Abel's fault. Um, uh, Pharaoh. It's the Jews' fault. Uh, slave owners. It's the slaves' fault. Slaves. It's the owners' fault. Bring it all to today. Donald. It's Nancy's fault. Nancy. It's Donald's fault. Right? This is the kingdom of accusation. This is the way we govern things in the kingdom of accusation. And in the kingdom of accusation, we wage war, we accomplish things, we think, with blame. All this conflict, all this conflict, it has to be someone's fault. Thus, in the worldwide community of the kingdom of accusation, every every community needs a scapegoat. What's a scapegoat? A scapegoat is a sin-bearing sacrificial animal. Term comes from the Bible on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. In ancient Israel, two goats would be brought to uh, the, the temple. The high priest would kill one goat and then place his hands on the goat of the other, confessing his sins and the sins of the people. And that goat would be, would be sent out of Jerusalem, outside the city gates, to carry the sins of the people out into the wilderness, away from, from everyone. That was the scapegoat. He's escaping, okay? Fast forward, again, we're at 30,000 feet, you're smart people. Fast forward, uh, 20th century, there's a really smart guy in France named René Girard, okay? He's a philosopher, and he specializes in Shakespeare and Dostoevsky. And he's, he's a lit guy, okay? So he's, he's reading literature from all over the world. And one of the things he notes is, oh my goodness, it's fascinating. Communities... In ancient literature, we see what communities do is they accuse each other when there's conflict. They blame each other. And then, to finally release that, that anger, that accusation, that blame, the community together finds a scapegoat. A sacrificial animal on which to, to place all the blame. And Gerard's going through life. He'd grown up in the church, but then later in life, he reads the Bible. And he's reading the Bible, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, this is the scapegoat of all scapegoats. Jesus is the archetype. He, he, is, he is the scapegoat to end all scapegoats. We could say, in the kingdom of accusation, in the act of blaming, we become one. Okay? In the act of blaming, we become one. And this is what we see right now. We see it in Washington, all right? We're all united because we all have a common enemy. You know, right, left, they're all, they're all blaming each other. A common enemy. We've got to find the scapegoat. We'll be one in the blame. Now, so Gerard finds Jesus, the scapegoat, to take away all scapegoats. And if you'll go with me just on a journey for a second, from Bethlehem, infant Jesus, all the way to 33-year-old Jesus, to Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. 
If you go on that journey, what Gerard did is he saw that there is a scapegoating story being told to end all scapegoating stories. For example, Caiaphas, the high priest. This is what he says in John eleven forty nine. Before Holy Week begins, he says, Isn't it better that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? It doesn't matter whether he's really guilty or not. But if we just kill one person, then everyone will be okay. Then we have the start of Holy Week. The king, Jesus, he rides in on the donkey. That's Palm Sunday. Okay, what do we call that in the church? We call that the triumphal entry. We call it the triumphal entry because this is a prophetic expression of the king coming into the city. He's coming in to wage war. You have the, the warrior king. He's with the 12 disciples. Again, when you think 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, This is new creation, new kingdom stuff. The, the king is with the disciples celebrating the Passover meal. And he takes some bread. He gives thanks for it. And then he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Takes the cup. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The scapegoat's saying, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it all on me. You won't need scapegoats anymore. Thursday night, what happens? Lynch mob, right? Jesus is in the garden. Suddenly a lynch mob shows up. This is what happens when, when we are in the kingdom of accusation. We get lynch mobs together. We saw this in the 20th century. You know, people coming together. We've got to find a black person to blame. We're going to hang them up. We're all going to gather around. We're all going to pour our stuff onto the scapegoat. So the lynch mob comes. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. Jesus is carried off. He's arrested. He's, he's tried. And the scapegoat is tortured because we want the scapegoat to hurt. We want the scapegoat to be in pain. We want to see the scapegoat bleed because we have all this anger and rage inside of us. We've got to pour it somewhere. And then Jesus is taken outside the, the, the city gates, the instrument of torture upon him, right? He's taken out like the scapegoat outside the walls of Jerusalem. He's on the hill. And his, his executioners, they, they, they pour those nails into his, his, uh, his hands and his feet. The scapegoat is plunged uh, with a spear into his side. What does the scapegoat say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hmm. What's, what's written on the top of the cross there? King of the Jews. Caesar saying, yeah, this is what happens when any would-be king tries to challenge me. And God's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Three days later, we know what happens. Now, we can understand why Jesus... In predicting his death, he says this. He says, now is the time for judgment of this world. He's talking about the cross. Strange thing. Jesus says, this cross thing, that's the time for judgment for this world. Now, the prince of this world, the king of accusation, the prince of this world, the Satan, the accuser, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. That's what happens. In the kingdom of accusation, we're drawn, we're drawn together in a community of accusation, but not in Jesus' kingdom. 
We don't come together in, that, in the kingdom of accusation that way. See, the scapegoat actually unmasks the strategies of the way the kingdom of accusation works. Deposing its king, exposing us coming around the way we do with the lynch mob mentality, it exposes it as, this is no way to have a community. This is no way to love each other. This is not God's design. It's not community at all. How does Jesus accomplish this? How does this warrior king, I mean, just bottom line, how does he accomplish all this? Not through the sword. No. Nonviolent offering up of his life for his enemies. That's the way the warrior king deposes the king of accusation. And what does he usher in? He ushers in the kingdom of grace. Grace is such an important, amazing word in Christianity. I feel like I always need to redefine it. Um, not, but, because there might be people in the room who don't understand what grace is. The simplest way to explain it is unmerited favor. You want to know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. We could talk a lot about it, but that's the simplest way to talk about it. See, in the kingdom of accusation, you don't need any grace. It gets in the way. Grace gets in the way in the kingdom of accusation. Favor for another is always predicated on, uh, do you deserve my favor? No, you don't, because you're wrong. You're to blame. No, you're wrong. You're to blame. No, you're wrong. I'm going to show you. No, I'm going to show you. Right? We don't need any grace in the kingdom of accusation. And it's into this kingdom where everyone's at fault because everyone's pointing their fingers at each other. We're all part of the problem. Here comes God in the flesh declaring, take your rage, take your anger, your betrayal, and hit me. Quit hitting each other. Hit me. Pour all your stuff on me. I will take it to set you free. I will take it to usher in a kingdom of grace and destroy the power structures of the kingdom of accusation. And you can see then why John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, when Jesus comes for baptism, what does he say? He says, look, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're in the kingdom of accusation. We become one in our blame in the kingdom of grace where the king becomes our scapegoat in Christ's sacrifice of grace. We become one. That's where our unity comes in the kingdom of God. And we become children then. We become the offspring of God's grace, living under the rule and reign of grace. And there's no, no, no more need for a scapegoat. The final scapegoat has been offered. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood <coughs> to be received by faith. God, uh, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, a reconciler. He shed his blood, became the scapegoat, and we receive that, how? By faith. By believing in and depending upon, not the ways of the kingdom of accusation, but by, leaving, but by believing in the ways and the life and the sacrifice of the king of grace. There's a great scene in um, Revelation, just quickly, where it's Revelation 5, 
there's this scroll. And uh, everyone in, in the heavenly realm is wondering, who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's, who's worthy to uh, un- open up and unleash the rest of the story, the consummation of the story? And, and John is he's weeping because he doesn't know who's worthy. And then a voice says, no, there. He's worthy. The Lion of Judah, which is kingship language in Israel. The Lion of Judah, he's worthy. And then what is the writer, John, what does he, he say? I turned and I saw on a throne a lamb that looked like it had been slain. Yeah, the king is a sacrificial lamb. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, just one more verse and we're just about done. He, Jesus, has rescued us from the power of darkness, of God the Father, has rescued us from the power of darkness, the kingdom of accusation, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Conclusion. God has given us a warrior king who has defeated the powers of with love, and he's ushered in a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of shalom, a kingdom of right relationship, where grace is the oxygen of this new kingdom. Question. Was there part of this that you needed to hear today? Maybe you've remembered he's son of God, he's forgiver, he's a great wise teacher. Maybe you've learned all these other things, but was it important that you hear he's also king. And he has the authority through his grace and what he has done to take you from the kingdom that is the power of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of redemption, the kingdom of forgiveness. Question, what would it mean for you to personally trust Jesus as king of your life, as the master, the one who has the authority. Is he to be trusted? I think he is. I believe he is. He is good and he has done everything necessary to move you from darkness to light. We've been doing this the past few Sundays. If, if you're here today and you're thinking, the time has come. I want to be transferred from darkness to light. I, I want to put all of my faith, I want to believe in and depend upon Jesus as my King, my Savior, my Lord, the Son of God, all these other words we've used, my priest, Emmanuel. If you'd like to do that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. This is the way I began the journey. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and bow your heads if you would. In this prayer, it's very simple. We admit, we believe, we commit. And uh, anyone who would like to pray this, I'll say a line. You just say it to God silently yourself. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I need a rescuer. I believe you lived, died, and rose again to bring me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. 
I invite you to fill me with your spirit, the spirit of Christ. And empower me to follow you from this day forward into eternity by faith through grace. In your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, we have at the welcome table, the high top blue tables, we have what we call yes packets, which are, are in existence for people who say yes. Uh, and so if you'd like to grab one of those, please do. Uh, you don't have to talk to Jill and me. We'll be there. Uh, if you want to, you can talk to us or you can just grab it and run. Okay? Um, on, on, on Christmas Eve, we'll also have a maybe packet. I kind of like that. Uh, so if, if, if you're thinking, eh, kind of interested, maybe, we'll have a maybe packet for you and your friends on Christmas Eve. Um, would you please stand? I'm going to invite our prayer folks down. They're going to be down here in the front. They'll be wearing a lanyard. If you need prayer for anything, they'd love to pray for you. Our Christmas Eve services are at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And here's my, here's my challenge to you. I, God laid this on my heart earlier. In the next... Three days, you're going to, I'm betting you're going to encounter someone. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to say, you know, you should pray for this person. And when you get that leading, would you just say, hey, may I pray for you? And do it right there. And you don't have to have a lot of fireworks. You don't have to do backflips or scream or make them fall down or anything. Just, you know, maybe lay a hand on their shoulder and say, Lord, Whatever comes to your heart, make it, make it brief. <laughs> I just think, I know people this time of year, they, got, they have a lot of stuff. And they need people who will be bold enough to love them in prayer. So let's do that this week, okay? Four and seven. I thought we'd end today with uh, the kingdom prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Instead of a benediction, we're going to end with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, what is so, so important in this prayer? I mean, there's so many good things, but we say these words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Loudly. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Merry Christmas.